and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. My name is Ben Standing, and yes, I do cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. On today's episode, we are talking fantasy football. You know it, and you also hate it. Trust me, the love-hate relationship with fantasy football is real. It is it is easily one of the worst relationships of my life, and yet I play and have played for nearly thirty years because this is what I do. Uh, <laughs> the, the 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 reward factor is uh you know is not is not worth the the stress I put on myself trying to figure out how to how to how to win my league every year. But when you want to win your league. There are certain people you should turn to. There's a lot of people who talk about fantasy football and write about it, but there's few who really deliver the results. One of those people is our guest on this episode, Jake Seeley at All In Kid on Twitter. Seeley, C I E L Y. Uh, go by, check any metric out there. People who track these things every year, Jake ranks among the top handful of. Uh, prognosticators with the sport and I'd never talked to Jake before but I really had a, a fun conversation we primarily talked about the football team and we looked at it from his perspective Ryan Fitzpatrick okay gunslinger they've got a lot of weapons where does he though rank though when you look at all the the quarterbacks Antonio Gibson um you know he had a pretty impressive year over a thousand combined yards 11 what 11 touchdowns um What's what's the ceiling for him? And even with that, where does he rank when you when you look at the top running backs in the NFL? We talked the receivers, we talked about the defense, and we talked about some things beyond the Washington football team. So a really interesting conversation. I hope you guys will will stay here for this one. And like I said, it's a lot about the football team, but if you're into fantasy football, this is a good one for you. So we'll get to all that here in just a moment. Of course, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, uh, Keep the podcast going. Probably have another one here, I would imagine, before I come back in in town. Like I said, I, I took a few days off. So if anything has happened of note, I'm not commenting on it because I'm recording this before it happened. So there's that. But uh, we'll be back with, with fresh podcast in that real-time podcast, I should say. This is a fresh podcast, but real-time podcasts uh, soon enough. Of course, if you want to check out any of them, you can go listen on iTunes or Spotify. Of course, we had a one-on-one recently with Ron Rivera. Uh, also talked with our friend Mark Bullock about uh, Cam Curl, Landon Collins, and the, the Buffalo Nickel, as well as some of the best, uh, what we thought were the best moves of the offseason. And we talked more with about our, uh, the, the name change story that I had up on The Athletic. And obviously, we've had a lot of fun guests over the course of this show, so you can check all that out. And of course, if you if you have time, go check out what I've been writing on The Athletic. A little quiet period now for the reasons I'm just saying, trying to take some time off. But a lot of articles up, including the one-on-one with Rivera. The name change story wrote a story about their the, the turf uh, reconstruction at, at FedEx Field. And of course, wrote, wrote after all the OTAs and minicamp and things like that. So lots there on The Athletic. Um I don't really want to dilly-dally anymore. Um, we're just going to get to it. Jake and I talked for about an hour, I think, give or take. So no re- no need to preamble anymore. Let's get to it. Really interesting conversation about football, fantasy football, and the Washington football team with Jake Seeley here on the Standard Groom Only Podcast. All right. So as I said, we're going to talk about the Washington football team, but we're going to talk. We're going to get away from reality, and we're going to get to fantasy. I don't know if that's a good segue or not. We're going to talk fantasy football with uh, the athletics, Jake Seeley, who is – 
Um, I, I'm not to say like I have to be nice when someone when various people from this company come on and you know uh, yeah they're they're all colleagues everybody does a really good job but like literally like this guy is if you don't already know is one of the best at what he does uh, in 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 the fantasy world you can check out all the various rankings and metrics he always does well so I really appreciate his time and, he, and he's coming in a little bit uh, uh, you know he, he's on the injury report from a, from a recent <laughs> dental issue so Jake I appreciate. You, uh, you toughing it out to, to talk some Washington football team with me. <laughs> well, definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Would I be wearing a red non-contact contact jersey? I like, does that count so I can get hit in the jaw? Does that, that matter? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, they, they go with the gold yellow ones out here. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think you would. I mean, look, there's a question of, would you be one of those guys who's like kind of, you know, in, in civvies or maybe you got your jersey on and just kind of watching or, you know, you're going <laughs> to tough it out based on what's happening here. You're toughing it out. But yeah, I think the non-contact jersey can make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm out there like not for our, the team we're talking about, but I'm out there like Tom Brady. I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for 10 years, but I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it anyway. I'm not going to take it out easy like I could put it that way. <laughs> right. Like, like last week, Taylor Heineke, he was dressed and was sort of out there, but like he couldn't put a helmet on because he had been like banged in the forehead by an inadvertent elbow like the previous week and had this huge gash <laughs> over his head. So couldn't put a helmet on. So you could be it could be sort of like that. You can't get the helmet on because of this uh, dental issue. That works well. By, by the way, I love to represent ODU over there. I went to ODU as well, so I always love to see Tyler Haneke. I actually watched Tyler Haneke in live in person. So when everybody was out there, you know, a couple of years ago, like, who's this kid that's all of a sudden starting for Cam Newton at the end of the season? I was like, I know who he is. I've watched him play. Oh, that's amazing. Were you there at the same time? <laughs> no, I had graduated just like just a few years before he did, but I watched him. I actually did go back to that time. I also uh, remember when Jarek McKinnon was part of a team that ran, and I'm not kidding. Everybody can go look it up. Ran for 600 yards against my ODU Monarchs. Yes, that's 600 yards in that game. Uh, so I I've seen a lot of like smaller things that people don't realize that came through ODU. I mean, the Heineke thing, and you know, we could talk about it to some degree here, but I mean, obviously from like a fantasy football perspective, when it comes to quarterbacks, you know, it's a pretty simple who's starting, right? And that's going to be somebody you're interested in. And then, and then it's just a matter of where does, you know, there's 32 starting quarterbacks, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as it stands right now, we're talking on, I don't know when I'm going to run this. We're talking on Friday, June 11th. Um, and, um, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the clear starter. But Taylor, there are some Taylor Heineke fans for sure. He he delivered Washington's best performance last year against Tampa Bay. Like based on like, since you have some of that prior knowledge and he obviously put up insane stats there. Like, do you like give him like, when you hear all this talk that he Taylor Heineke, you know, could be the guy or this, that, or the other, like, does, does that sort of even like, does that even seem fathomable based on the fact that you saw him play at ODU, not a football <laughs> factory necessarily, no offense to anyone. Um, right, and right. Then, and then simultaneously, <laughs> just what he's done in his career, which is largely not much prior to this random start against uh, Tampa Bay in the playoffs. Yeah, so it, it, I'll compare him to the other one, Travis Fulgham, who's over there with the Eagles. And it's kind of that, you know, every scout out there in the world can't watch players 100% of the time because there's no way you could watch the thousands and thousands and thousands of players. So obviously when you have that, you know, this is what beat writers do. Beat writers have a better insight because you get to watch the full team every single time, every single practice, every single week. So you're better than the person who tries to cover everybody. Uh, so watching Heineke, it's the it's the concerns we had for him coming out of college of like, well, it's not just a small school, but it's also, you know, smaller size, 6'1", 210". 
It doesn't have a cannon for an arm. He's got a decent arm. Uh, he's a little more uh, elusive out of the pocket than people expect, but also from ODU never had that progression read situation where you're like looking at the top competition and you want to see like, Oh, he's facing this type of cop top, you know, the secs of the world. <laughs> I don't even go that far. Heck facing the biggie. Well, the Big East is not around anymore. Uh, the CAA is what they were playing in for everybody that doesn't know at the time. Uh, they're now conference USA. So it's low level stuff. And those are the concerns you would have about any player and whether it's running back, wide receiver, the corners, anybody. Um, and Fulgham, they came out of the same school. Uh, I actually thought has the potential to be an NFL three or four. So what I say about Heineke is uh, be honest about it. I don't want to poo-poo anybody ever, but we have to be honest in our assessments. Is I always thought he was like, he could be an NFL backup. Is actually what I said back in 2015. It's like, he could be an NFL backup. But I think that's his ceiling. But what we saw last year, to kind of answer your question, is he did impress me a little bit for what he did uh, because I wasn't you know, ready to believe in the fact that moving from Old Dominion to the NFL was going to lead to success. At the same time, I think Fulgham's a good comparison to make is we haven't seen, and you know this, as we see a lot of times with like, Jalen Hurts is going to a year where the offense is designed for him and people are going to look for more book on how to stop him. Justin Herbert is going to a second season where the NFL is out to try to stop Justin Herbert. If you had an offense designed for Tyler Haneke, that would probably help. But if the NFL knew, had a full playbook, a full film on how to stop him, I think there's a limit to his ceiling. And that's why I bring up Fulgham because uh, something I wrote for Fantasy last year was go pick him up immediately. But I included and I said once defenses started treating him like a number one wide receiver, the time the fun is going to be gone uh, just because he's not that level. So I think they're I think they're a good parallel between the, between each other. Yeah, no, that, that that's interesting. I always say that like with football game plans are more like if you if you view if you view sports like a boat uh the, the a game plan for football is more like a uh, a cruise ship it's very hard to turn it goes yes. it, it, it goes in a certain direction but it's very hard to turn where it's like basketball you can be like hey that guy yeah he doesn't go, just make him go left like a jet ski <laughs> right right yeah it's very <laughs> it's easier to switch to, to, to shift and whatever you, yeah, he can't go left go that way or you know just just play up, you know, give him the three-point shot so he doesn't drive, whatever it is. Football, the game plans are very – it's almost like until the next season can people figure it out. Right, obviously, if you're thinking about the Washington football team, you're going to think about Fitzpatrick. Um, I wasn't actually going to start here, but since we're here, let me just ask you this. So I was looking up on 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 the site, and obviously you can find all Jake's work on The Athletic, and I looked like, it looked like the last uh, fantasy football rankings I saw position by position was like last month. Uh, and you had Ryan Fitzpatrick, I want to say like 26 among quarterbacks, um, which is an interesting number. Uh, you know, look, Ryan Fitzpatrick is such a fascinating career for all, all the reasons that we all understand. They don't have to go through his whole, his whole uh, resume. But look, you know, from like a QBR perspective, he was ranked top eight in each of the last two years. And now he's going into a situation where, you know, there's a decent chance he's going to be the starter throughout the, the course of the year, bar, barring injuries, but you only had him down there. So I guess I'm wondering in part, is that because he's Ryan Fitzpatrick and it's just other guys are just going to have more upside than a 38-year-old journeyman, even if he's <laughs> playing with an offense that now has some weapons? Or do you factor in like, well, there is this Taylor Heineke situation or maybe even Kyle Allen and it's not, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick history suggests teams do always look in another, eventually looks towards somebody else. There is no Tua Tunga Viola here, but you know, 
the history says Fitzpatrick doesn't finish the year. So like when you put him at 26, what, what, what kind of led you to, to, to that? So it's actually mostly for fancy purposes that can be better. That's different than real life. I actually recently did a podcast uh, with a buddy of mine, Pat Mayo. And I said, unless injury, I, if you told me the over under was 16 games, I would take the over because I think Fitzpatrick is starting the entire season. That's my opinion. I, I think this team brought him in and I know he's never played a playoff game and all that type of stuff, but you know, Heineke's a great fallback. Actually, he's probably better than half the league as a fallback of what we just seen from him um, and a lot of the question marks that are out there. But at the same point, you know, this is a team that just won the division. Um, I actually even put a little bit of money at the end of the season on the way because it was weird as their odds were so favorable to put money on. In fact, that they just won the division. They get Fitzpatrick. They draft Miami Brown. They still have one of the best defenses in the league. And you have all these situations like, so why can't they repeat? So I am on Fitzpatrick is the quarterback. For fantasy purposes, it can be a completely different thing because the big thing about Fitzpatrick is he's not going to run for 500 yards. He's not going to rush for five or six touchdowns, especially on this Washington team, in my opinion. Uh, but even with the rushing yards, that was never going to be there. So it ha- comes all the way back to his arm. And now you start to ask your question of, well, if he has to do it all in his arm, uh, Tom Brady just threw for 4,600 yards and 40 touchdowns. On a points per game in fantasy, he was still only QB 10. And I say only, that's in quotes, but also kind of like italicized in my voice. Uh, to understand, like, that's the kind of numbers to get you QB 10 in a points per game basis because you don't run. So you have to ask yourself, does Fitzpatrick throw for 4,500 yards and close to 40 touchdowns? I think everybody in the world would say no. Even the staunchest fans of the Washington team would say there's no way that's happening. And it doesn't need to happen for real-life success, and I see real-life success with him. But for a fantasy perspective, it comes down to he falls in the the Baker-Mayfield range where Baker-Mayfield on a points-per-game basis last year was just QB 25. And that's actually where I have Fitzpatrick. That's not... I wasn't doing that on purpose, but that's just a good combination right there is that, you know, throwing for 35 to 4,000 yards, throwing for mid twenties, touchdowns, maybe even getting close to 30. uh, It's just not going to do much for you in fantasy, unless you're also running these days, unfortunately. Um, I I want to, yeah, I mean, I look and and I hear you. I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I guess Fitzpatrick's upside is relatively limited. I mean, while Washington has more weapons, I think people here are excited about what an offense could look like with with more than just Terry McLaurin at receiver and Antonio Gibson in year two and let's see what Logan Thomas can build on and and all that and we'll get to all those guys but at the same time other teams in the league have other weapons as well so just because Washington's getting back up to to you know some normal level of weapons doesn't mean that other people don't and then like you said with since Fitzpatrick doesn't have some of the um, extra stuff the way the, 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 some of these more mo- mobile quarterbacks go and Washington faces a tough schedule. Like, there's reasons why I get it, why he may not be as high up, even though people are excited about what this offense could could do. Um, obviously, I do want to come back to Washington in a second, but I, I got you here, so I want to ask a couple other sort of broader things at, at, at the top. So first of all, I mentioned that Jake is really good at what he does. Now, I have done, people know my story enough to know, like I've been a fantasy football guy for, I mean, I've been playing for, man, it's getting close to 30 years now, which is a frightening uh, number <laughs> to say out loud. Um, and I have done... I've been the fantasy football guy who writes things and talks about things. And I've been like fantasy pros tracks these things. And I've done that. And I was with FF toolbox. And like one year we had the best uh, whatever, but like, I freely admit it for me, it's all gut and instinct. Why I'm reading stuff. I think stuff. What do I think? And Jake's doing it 
with a much smarter uh, approach. He's got, he's not going to share, he's not going to spill his exact uh, formula to, to his success, but there's a scientific aspect to, to it all. And I'm wondering uh, when you are coming up with your, your, your lists and, and your rankings and so on, there is the, yeah, like I said, the, the analytics of it, as it were. But then there also is the information from people like me, because it's it's one thing if your numbers spit out, uh, you know, what I'm making the whatever this is. It, you know, Antonio Gibson is the uh, I think you, I saw it was like like your 14th running back, 13th running back, something like that. Um, but then it's another thing if somebody like me says, "Hey, I'm watching practices, and Antonio Gibson's catching a lot of passes," and if that translates to what's going to happen in the season, I think Gibson's numbers could go up or on the flip side, Hey, it looks like they're, I mean, you know, again, I'm just sort of making this up. It looks like Peyton Barber is even more heavily involved. Now he's, he, he could be even more than the goal line guy. Your numbers may not automatically reflect that because that's not what Sarah happened last year. So how does that work for someone like you who isn't just going off like sort of gut feel you're actually doing a scientific look at this. Uh, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like you're, you know, you're sending uh, ships to, to Mars, but it, you know, you, you, there's there's more to this than just let me make up a list. So how how do you, how do you factor in people like me reporting stuff, tweeting stuff versus here's what my numbers say and and kind of come out? Yeah, it's honestly like a constant correction to get to the end result. And you know, so the list that you're referring to, rankings wise, for everybody out there that doesn't know, this is my post NFL draft first quote unquote draft at my rankings for this year. And they're all gut. They're all, this is what I've watched. This is what I feel. Uh, there's inclusion of, you know, some rookies out there who I think that win jobs. There's other players that I think win jobs or don't win jobs and all that type of stuff. And this is what, you know, watching a football for years and years and years, this is how I feel. So now the next part is what I'm working on right now for our draft kit that comes out next month is our projections, which put things into place as what you're talking about and kind of alluding to and doesn't this doesn't really give too much away but everybody knows snap share target share touch share like all these things are factors and then what the player's performance should be on a per game basis and you can have analytics also tell you well if blank run like gibson let's throw him out let's just throw out round numbers for this argument but gibson's gonna get 200 carries he averages four yards a carry he's getting 50 receptions averages seven yards a reception or something like that you know those are the projection side of things which pull data from a lot of websites and pull data from game scores and box scores and you know performances and all that type of stuff but then now i'm not done because i always say this to go back to evaluating rookies which you know i do for my top rookie list every year for the nfl draft for fantasy for only i only do skill picks i don't do the dane ruler beast uh but <laughs> you know is that i'm a i hate the word film because it sounds so pretentious these days but it's like uh watching I, I like to say watching game tape it sounds a little bit better i don't know whatever watching games put it that way is it's it's got to be at least 50 50 yeah you could skew either direction like i lean a little bit more 60 watching games 40 analytics and you could even maybe argue 65 35 i'm split backfield basically but either way is i don't think you can do one without the other for the people out there that want to do only numbers and only testing and all that type of stuff you're 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 cheating yourself for people that I will say that only want to watch games and and players and all that type of stuff and ignore the analytics. You're also hurting yourself. 
So I say that to say I do my projections, but then myself, I go back through and I say, you know what? I know the projections just spit this out, but because I read what Ben said, because I've been watching this and saw this, because this is the way things are trending and I just have a feel for it or what the coaches are saying or whatever. I'm like, no, I don't like this number. So I'm going to push his target share to this. I'm going to say this guy wins the number two job. Um, I'm going to say, you know what? That four yards per carry, this is where analytics will even combine with my second going back is like, you know what? Four yards per carry. The offensive line was trash last year. I think it's better, like the Eagles. You know, let's be honest about the Eagles. They were on the third string of their offensive line at one point. Going to be better this year. Maybe seeing this, the statistics spit out, Miles Sanders at 3.9 yards per carry will be like, bad. he's not going to do that with a better offensive line. I'm going to push it up to 4.2. So it sounds like it sounds like it could be a little bit arbitrary, but it's not. Uh, there is it's a subjective is an objectiveness combined. And that's how yeah, you know, I get the end result when the draft kit comes out. That's how these numbers get where they are. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, it's gotta be it's gotta be tough. I I I ironically always tell people like I was much more into fantasy football before I became a full-time NFL beat writer, which seems oxymoronic. Like my friends are all like, well, it's not fair you're in the league. I'm like, I, I promise you, I know less about what is happening around the league now than I did before because I'm all consumed on the one team. Whereas before I was looking at all the teams and it's not easy to stay on top of, of all the situations, but like to your point of like the Dave Brugler beast, you're not worrying about who the backup linebacker is going to be or how Washington is dealing <laughs> right. with uh you know certain certain factors that are not fantasy relevant so um yeah it's interesting to hear how how, how to, to be reminded of how it goes from somebody in your spot um so so with that said like i'm curious like last year washington's offense was so, i i imagine was super weird from a fantasy perspective in that they were overall terrible they ranked near the bottom and you know so many categories points scored yards things like that and yet you had Terry McLaurin rank, I would imagine, among the top 15 or so wide receivers in various yeah. categories. Antonio Gibson, he ends up with over 1,000 yards combined offense and 11 touchdowns. J.D. McKissick caught a ton of passes, which made him a threat in PPR leagues. Logan Thomas, same thing, especially over the second half of the year. So all those guys individually were pretty good, yet collectively as an offense, they weren't very good, which is why I think people are excited now because you've got Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in as opposed to the hodgepodge forget hodgepodge the hot mess they had at quarterback (laughs) last year so when you when you when you're sort of tweaking your numbers now and you're looking at the Washington team is there a player that like kind of jumps out to you whatever the position somebody I said or or somebody else that you're like really kind of intrigued by this year based on what your numbers show and also kind of things you're, you're hearing yeah, so it just really comes down to, uh, well, partly with the team is what made it so appealing last year is so funneled, uh, similar to the appeal that we have for a team like the Vikings. It's it's Dalvin Cook, the top two wide receivers, Jefferson and Thielen, and even Jefferson far exceeded expectations. And then maybe some tight ends. That's what, what you said is you could have a bad team and still have like bad offense, I should say, because the team was still pretty decent overall. But you could have a bad offense and still have quality fantasy options because when you funnel it that much and it's that star- it's kind of, it's kind of like you, you're that focused on the team. The offense was that focused to three players. It was JD McKissick, Logan Thomas, and Antonio Gibson, and re- at Terry McLaurin, and not really much else. Um, for this season, you know, I think the biggest one is somebody that we already know. Unfortunately, it's not like going to be a surprise to people that play fantasy, but just to see the Curtis Samuel addition to this team, I think that we could see Curtis Samuel if Fitzpatrick, as I expect to play the entire season at quarterback, 
could even improve on what we just saw with Carolina because you were talking about three wide receivers out there. Um, but on the flip side, you can make the argument there was no Christian McCaffrey. You can make the argument that their tight ends aren't involved uh, so that Logan Thomas is involved. I just think that the interesting thing for the team for fantasy-wise is that it'll be almost as condensed as last year. It's just now you throw in Curtis Samuel as kind of absorbing the Simses, the both of them, and the rest of those targets that are going elsewhere. The thing that stands out to me is actually – negative and i hate that to be the case but i'm actually legitimately concerned that jd mckissick is able to even come close to what he did last year because of that because now you have terry mclaurin with a legitimate number two wide receiver alongside him and curtis samuel you have diami brown who i think will make some noise as a rookie he's not going to be consistent for fancy he's not going to be consistent in real life but he brings that will fuller i call them discount will fuller <laughs> as of right now <laughs> Because uh, that's who he is, right? He, he's a rookie right now. I think that you have McLaurin, Samuel, and Logan Thomas. And you have Fitzpatrick, who actually doesn't throw to the running backs as much as even this team did last year. Uh, if you look, I went. I actually dug this up when I was looking for Gibson in general, because I was concerned about Gibson going into year two. But I think he comes out as a net neutral. Uh, but Fitzpatrick, over the last five years, for all, you know, he's, he had Matt Forte before, but it's, you know, Matt Forte towards the end of his career. So you can make excuses, but even with that, he's only thrown two touchdowns in five years to running backs. His target percentage to running backs in general is extremely low. So if Washington is truly focused on getting Antonio Gibson more involved in the passing game, as he should be, as if you watched him in college, I think that unless he's left out completely, which would be a bad thing for Gibson, Fitz, it fits going to McKissick is just not going to be a lot left. So that's my biggest, I hate to say it, but I'm excited for Curtis Samuel, but my biggest takeaway is actually a negative overall. And that's that McKissick probably doesn't repeat. Yeah. I mean, look, obviously, you know, uh, I guess it's fair to say I have insight to some of this based on, you know, having been out there watching things. Although ironically McKissick was not actually there this week for minicamp uh, mandatory, but he was, he was one of the few players that was out there for an excused absence. Uh, of some sort, but in watching the and, and Curtis Samuel has not practiced in the last two weeks because of a groin issue. We'll presume it's minor and they're just being cautious. Uh, but my take is I'm with you. Like, I don't see McKissick being nearly the factor. I mean, look, realistically, from a football perspective, he was overused last year. Now they were lucky to have him that they had a guy who was effective as a pass catcher and could run a bit and do some things. His offense was not very interesting otherwise. And it was, it was fortunate. And then when Gibson was out, for a little bit McKissick filled in he's not a obviously between the tackles runner that you're going to give the ball to 15 to 20 times a game but you know he helped and and that was good but at the same point yeah they have like last year you basically had one wide receiver in Terry McLaurin Cam Sims was a spotty here and there over the course over the second half of the year but that's it now you've got McLaurin again who's only going to keep getting better I would say just as a receiver in general and now I mean look let, let's consider Terry McLaurin's quarterbacks since he's been in the league Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, Dwayne Haskins, Alex Smith, uh, Kyle Allen, and it's Taylor Heineke wasn't even for fantasy because that was in the playoffs. Um, that is, ugh. You know, I mean, you know, that, 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 that's not a good at all. Fitzpatrick is arguably going to be the best guy he's had, so his number should on some level just go up just based on that, plus a quarterback who's going to be aggressive and throwing the ball down the field. McLaurin's got great speed. I think they should take more advantage of that but now also you have Curtis Samuel who's obviously become a big time playmaker a player you can use in a lot of different formations including out of the backfield I, I with you I think that's going to hurt 
McKissick, but then even further a receiver, the receiver position is really deep in terms of the six guys who are going to make the team, which I know is not completely relevant for, for the fantasy purposes, but you have an Adam Humphreys who has been hurt the last two years, but he had over 70 catches in 2018 when he was with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So they obviously have a bit of a connection. I mentioned Cam Sims. He's been the one who's been out there as the number two opposite McLaurin with Samuel sidelined. He's the one guy of the top receivers who adds real size. I, I'm, I'm a Cam Sims stand to a degree. I, I really like him. Um, his, his issue has been consistency. We'll see, but I, I think he's got a shot. But again, I, that's now four guys I've just mentioned. And you still have a guy like Antonio Gandy-Golden who had some you know sleeper hype last year as a fourth-round pick, but never injuries and otherwise just never got going last year. Deami Brown has looked really good. There are people who who, who, who make some Terry McLaurin comparisons. Um, I had a, yeah, I've had people tell me they think he should have gone in the second round. I think he could be really good. And if this was like a normal, hey, Washington doesn't have receivers, like if Deami Brown was here last year, I would be putting him up as a guy, hey, Jake, you should be looking at him as a sleeper because he could start or if not you know, at some point. This year, I don't even know if he's going to play that much, but he's interesting enough to, to warrant consideration. And that's why it is hard to see how those J.D. McKissick get as many catches as he does. Plus, Gibson's going to catch more passes. I also am a little bit worried about Logan Thomas to a degree. It, Ryan Fitzpatrick will throw to the tight end, but he's also going to throw the ball more downfield than, say, Alex Smith did last year. So I'm with you. I, I, I think Gibson, McLaurin, I probably would, like, in my own head, like, bump up. But it's hard to see how McKissick and maybe to a degree Logan Thomas kind of can maintain where they were uh, a year ago just because they're now so many other guys. Right. And it all comes down to, you know, it's, it's putting everything you said down to paper and also now including basically the projections and it's math. It comes down to math is okay. How many reasonable targets can all these guys get? You know, does Ryan Fitzpatrick he probably sets a career high, but not by much and is in total attempts for a season, but does he get to 570, maybe 580? Because you also, and everybody listening that follows this team knows this, when you have a quality defense, you're not like the Falcons throwing it 620 times in a season, especially because your defense, your, your offense is also more balanced than theirs was with Todd Gurley last year. But you look at it and say, okay, 575, 80 sounds like a good number for attempts. So now you break down the target share. If Gibson's involved, McLaurin's getting his and going to continue to get his. You give Samuel, and even if you give Logan Thomas a decent share with a slight decrease from last year, it's kind of like, oh my gosh, now you're already running out of targets. And you mentioned, like, you didn't even bring up Calvin Harmon, who, you know, probably at this point, I would assume that you can correct me if I'm wrong and you can answer this question, but probably is on the outside looking in of making this team, but could be a possession receiver. I would bet that at least Harmon or Gandy Golden makes it. I would lean towards Gandy Golden, in my opinion. Again, you tell me if I'm wrong there, but. Um, somebody who you mentioned injuries will had the sleeper potential coming out of Liberty who I actually went to Liberty. That's another school. I went to Liberty for a year before I went to ODU. So I had my eyes on Antonio Golden golden. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, somebody from Liberty is going to make it the NFL. The first person since like Rashard Jennings is actually going to be in the NFL. Um, so there's just a lot of options. Even when you, when you get down to the roster, let's just even forget like who I'm right and wrong about or who ends up making the team. You're still talking five, six wide receivers, two, you know, third tight end is going to be mixed in somewhere at some point, three running backs. And it's just like you run out of targets. You legitimately can't give that. And I'll give a good comparison for everybody out there. Um, the Baltimore Ravens. Everybody loves Rashad B- Bateman. Okay. <laughs> Lamar Jackson, even if he threw 20% more passes than he threw last year, he threw 401. If he got to 500 pass attempts, you would still have to give Rashad Bateman 
a 20% target share to get a hundred targets. It's just simple math. Yeah. Um, ab 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 absolutely. So yeah, I, you know, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out for Washington. Like I said, my, my, my early thought would be, and again, I haven't thought about any of these other teams. I'm not paying attention to what's going on with Ezekiel Elliott or what's shaking out with the Chargers backfield or the Ravens or anybody else. I don't know. But I'm just saying I would think Antonio Gibson would be a guy that I'm absolutely gonna gonna target. I mean, go, I mean, just the simple fact that last year he entered the NFL having only 33 carries the previous season at Memphis because he was essentially a receiver. And you could yeah. see at the beginning of last year he really couldn't, he's struggling finding the running lanes, you know, just sort of getting up to speed. But man, the playmaking is off the charts. He continued to get better. And again, you know, I, I, clearly defenses didn't have to worry about the, the long pass when Alex Smith was, was in there or, or Dwayne Haskins for that matter. So they could, you know, put more guys near the line of scrimmage. You obviously are going to have to now, which he, he's, he should see, you know, fewer, you know, crowded uh, boxes and, and so on. So I, I think Gibson is, is poised for, for a lot. Um, and, and like I said, McLaurin, I just love Terry McLaurin, the player. So there, it's maybe a slightly more that as opposed to really being like, well, he's like you said with the math. We'll have to see how that how that uh, uh, shakes out. Um, is there anything else? Um, oh, and you mentioned Kelvin Harmon. I mean, uh, under normal years, Kelvin Harmon and a Stephen Sims, who was their starting slot receiver last year at, at times. Um, would be guys we would be discussing at least in some capacity, right? I mentioned Deami Brown. He certainly certainly will make the team, and he could be interesting. But it's hard to say in a direct path. Those guys in normal years would be players we would be talking about with some sort of a hey, what about this guy? Could he be a sleeper here? I don't even know how they were going to make the team, meaning Harmon right. and Stephen Sims, um, because of this. You know, I mean, yeah, you could keep seven receivers, but like if you're going to keep six, yeah. then I don't know how they're making the team, and that I think that's going to be a really interesting. Um, position battle for sure. One thing I also wonder about with Gibson. So last year, Peyton Barber, you know, it was a lot of short yardage runs he got and, uh, you know, probably he got some touchdowns as well. I, I'm curious about the third running back spot. Does Peyton Barber make it? There's not an obvious challenger. Everybody else in camp is sort of a, you know, guy who's either bounced around. They, they, they have undrafted free agent Jared Patterson out of Buffalo who had monster stats um, there, but in, in college, but, uh, you know, he's, you know, let's just say he's, he's not, he's not a tall man. Um, so I don't know how it even, it, but if Barbara is not there, that could even mean more for Gibson, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, goal line, goal line touches and, and things like that. So I, I think he could be super interesting. Is there anybody else on offense that kind of stands out to you or anything like as we're getting closer to the season that you're going to kind of be wanting to track during, uh, you know, training camp and things like that? No, I think that the one you just brought up is going to be interesting is who's the third back, especially when we hear the early concerns about Antonio Gibson. But it, that kind of got – you asked me that. That seemed to get washed under the rug pretty quick. It Was it just – was the initial report about his health overblown? Is that is that why we kind of just immediately stopped talking about it so quickly? I mean, Gibson's uh, toe issue from last year? Yeah, yeah, the turf toe. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't seem like it's been an issue so far. If It, it seems like it's a past – uh, it's something from the past at this, at this stage. He's looked fine running out there. They've said all the right things. So, yeah, I don't think it's anything to, to worry about going forward. Obviously, I, you know, not a doctor, so I don't know the likelihood of, the, of that type of injury re, re, flaring up again. But, yeah, I mean, he, he, he looks good. It doesn't seem like it's, been, it's any kind of an issue. So, yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, it shouldn't be. The, the other thing, and not to just 
you know, blow up Antonio Gibson a, a ton, but when you watch Scott Turner's offense, you could see it in some of the games, especially when Alex Smith is in there and they felt they could open up the playbook a bit more compared to what Haskins was in there. Like Scott Turner's offense is really about taking guys and moving them all over the place. You know, if you have Antonio Gibson right. in the backfield, but the defense is in a four, three base, you may then motion him out to receiver and get him in a one-on-one -on -one spot against the linebacker. If it's the other way, right. You have, you know, nickel package in there, sub package, you may say, okay, we're going to leave Gibson and have him run up the middle. Like you could do the same thing with McKissick and obviously same thing with Curtis Samuel, right? These guys can line up all over the place. I don't think they did that as much with Gibson last year as maybe I, as they probably would have wanted to. Again, anytime Dwayne Haskins was in there, they were pretty limited to what they could do on offense. And I mentioned that Gibson was still you know, kind of having to learn on the fly about what it meant to be a running back. And then he got hurt late in the year with the turf toe. So I, I would imagine we'll even see more of Antonio Gibson moving all over the place, which may or may not be good for touches, but I think it will be good from a opportunity standpoint, you know? Um, well, that's, that's actually what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that's exactly what I, because what I was going to say on the Antonio Gibson and not to poo poo into it. Cause I'm, I'm a big Gibson fan. I was a fan of his last year and said that one of the things is he's going to have to go to a team that knows they can use him in both dimensions and not ruin him like Ty Montgomery coming out of college. And I think he's better than Ty Montgomery, but I brought up Montgomery because when he came out of college, the big thing and why he went so late and you saw him off those slow starts because people didn't know where to use him. You mentioned he was used so heavily Gibson, that being as a receiver in college. And there was even some people that thought, I remember this. I remember watching after the draft last year that there were some sites that listed him as a wide receiver. And I'm just like, what are we doing here? Like, it's like, we don't even, or we aren't sure. I was like, he's clearly a running back just like, but there was reports that like, Oh, maybe Washington drafted him as a wide receiver because they lacked wide receivers. So I agree with what you're saying. And I hope it's hundred percent right because my one only minor concern outside of injury, my only minor concern about Antonio Gibson is he was actually top five in the league for rushing touchdowns to attempts last year, which is an ungodly number. We're talking about, the Baltimore Ravens backfield, uh, it was it was either Dobbins or Edwards that was up there. So we're talking like top end. Derrick Henry was obviously there, but you're talking about guys that like they get the touchdowns of that. Like Aaron Jones was up there, too. I forget the fifth person now, but you're talking elite company. I'm not taking anything away from Gibson, but even those guys, it, that's a very it's a very volatile number to get the rushing touchdowns and to get it at such a high rate. So what I was saying is that let's be reasonable with Gibson and say, Maybe it takes them 220 rush attempts to get 10, 11 touchdowns, which is fine, but let's get them more touches and let's get them, as you mentioned, let's get them some more in the receiving game. So at the end of the year, we're talking about Gibson as a 250, 260 touch guy instead of, you know, that, that, what we saw last year where I think it was with 36 receivers, right? He's somewhere around around 200. So let's just get him like 50 more touches. And now I'm not concerned about the touchdowns. Right, absolutely. Um, one one more Washington question, then I want to branch out to some broader broader things. But while, while I still have you here, with regards to Curtis Samuel, one one thing that was so fascinating is so he was obviously a target for this team. Everybody pe penciled him in as as a player Washington would get. I give nobody credit for saying, "Oh, I predicted Curtis Samuel would come to Washington." Yeah, no duh. Right? <laughs> I mean, everybody who's ever been at Ron Rivera has ever whoever played for Ron Rivera Carolina or he had dinner with becomes associated with this team, and they needed a receiver. All made sense, but. In 2019, the last year you had Ron Rivera, it was not a Scott, Scott Turner was not the offensive coordinator, but he was there as the QB coach. Curtis Samuel had played primarily on the outside and had like over like something, something around like 900 or so 
snaps. I don't have the number right in front of me. But some of them were like 900 or so snaps. And he set, at that point, career highs with yards, receptions, and, and all that. Then last year, new coaching staff, they play him 60% in the slot versus playing more on the outside. They dropped his snaps about 300 in total. And yet, his production actually went way up. He set career highs in yards, receptions, and yards. I think his his touchdowns were a little bit less compared to the two previous years. Um, What do you make of that? Because when when they signed him, I was thinking, okay, because my sense was that they recognized the coaching staff, okay, this the other this new coaching staff used him in different ways. Maybe we didn't we need to consider more. And yet, after signing him, they went out and signed Adam Humphreys. They went out and drafted a guy like Dax Milne in the seventh round. And you know whatever. I'm not saying Dax Milne is making the team, but they purposely drafted a slot receiver and signed Adam Humphreys. You still have Stephen Sims, so it kind of feels like they're going to play Samuel still more on the outside. So I'm sort of torn, like to make to what to make of of that aspect, and does any of that impact? what we think of of him this year does that does any of that sound interesting to you as a guy who does look at these broader uh numbers and just doesn't go off the gut instinct no this is 100 percent something to look at too is and this is this is actually a combination a hunt you can't this is a 50 50 down the middle of let's stay in this division and i'll make a really good comparison for this is sterling shepherd is sterling shepherd for anybody that watches the giants within this division knows he is not an outside a pure outside wide receiver can he succeed outside Yes. Does he do infinitely better when he's in the slot? Also, yes. So your thought and concern here with Curtis Samuel is warranted. Anybody who, you know, let's go back to the opposite direction. DK Metcalf coming out of college, everybody's just like, oh, he can only look at this three cone. It sucks. Look at the shuttle. Like he's going to struggle, whatever. Seattle drafted DK Metcalf and said, you know what? We're going to let you play one side of the field. We're going to let you run the routes you can route. And we're not going to ask you to run curls and comebacks and cuts over the middle. We're going to let you be DK Metcalf. So I bring that up to say you can do it both ways. You can take a slot guy, force him to be bigger. You can take a big guy and force him to be smaller. And, like, it won't work. You know, some teams try to make players more than they're what they are. Uh, Sterling Shepherds was a, a situational uh, standpoint there. But so was Samuels. And not just two years ago that you bring up is that you're right. He had over 100 targets that year and way fewer receptions that he had on fewer targets last year and way less success because – the way he was used, but also I'll put some of it on the quarterback play from two years ago. Uh, if you look at Carolina, that's sort of part of the problem as well. So if Curtis Samuel is outside 80% of the time, I'm with you and I'm concerned. I think that if you look at it, I feel like Adam Humphreys is likely their wide receiver for similar to, I'm going to bring up the Buffalo Bills and say, maybe he's more of wide receiver three slash four with Diami Brown. It's just going to depend who's on the field, depending on what package or what set they're throwing out there. And they're going to mix and match as of today. Uh, and maybe Cam Sims is with you know, the Diami Brown conversation if Diami doesn't look great from week one. But you have a big one and you have a slot one. It's just going to depend on what they plan on doing. So when it's two, I think you look at an offense that's kind of out there where you see Curtis Samuel running kind of, I don't want to say big slot because people kind of get that per- perception in their mind, big guy, big slot, but that slot option, like a Tyreek Hill and no, no Curtis Samuel's not Tyreek Hill, but 
where he's working on the slot in a two wide receiver set, but that's because they use him in that fashion. So that's where, where I come down to this is I could see the number dropping from 60%, but I don't think we're going to see him in the, on the outside 80% of the time. But if you're watching camp and you see that and you report that Ben, that's, this is why great of why we come to you guys. And all of a sudden, you know, we get to week three of the preseason and you're like, man, Curtis Samuel is just outside almost all the time. They're barely using him in the slot. Adam Humphreys is going to be a thing then your point about two years ago in that usage curtis samuel in my opinion like sterling shepherd like some of these other guys i would legitimately be concerned about his success maybe the targets don't drop but the reception rate drops and that affects everything yeah i mean one reason i wasn't that excited about washington desperately having to sign a receiver the way other people were is you had cam sims you had gandy golden sort of two lottery tickets on the outside that are i think were interesting enough and you figured they would draft somebody with a deep receiver group that they would draft somebody like they did with diami and i was like yeah i don't know if you're gonna if you have lim- you know somewhat they, they had cap space but like you know you can't just spend everywhere so you know maybe don't go crazy with spending a receiver spend that money on something else, but whatever they did it. And Samuel's obviously an interesting player, but yeah, it's really going to be interesting to see how that uh, shakes out. We will, we will be updating you when they come back from, to, to training camp at the end of the month, end of July. Uh, all right. A couple last questions here while I got you here. Uh, let, we'll go broader fantasy. Here, all right, let's start with this. You are the czar of fantasy football. If somebody is starting a new league for whatever the reason they've been playing for a while, they're brand new, whatever it is. And they say to you, what kind of a league are we running? Meaning standard scoring, <laughs> PPR, dynasty, whatever it is, a brand starting from scratch. What's the league that you, what are you telling people uh, that they need to do? <laughs> I'm telling my, I'm telling the people, one of my catchphrases is check the link. Uh, so I, every single year I refresh it. I have the best league settings and scoring for fantasy football. Of course, it's my opinion. Uh, but I'll give you the quick hit version because it goes super in depth. I even include things like double headers because I believe that with how much luck there is in fantasy football, you know, you nobody wants to get to the end of the season and say like, oh, I was the second highest scoring team and I went three and thirteen or you know what do you go three and twelve depending on how you play your playoffs or anything like that. And I see it every single year. So double headers for anybody that doesn't know is the second game instead of, you have your head to head matchup. But your second game is played against the league scoring. So the top six scores, if you're 12 teams, top six scores get an extra win and bottom six scores get an extra loss. So worst case scenario, the second highest score for a week, worst case, you go one and one. Um, So doubleheaders are in there. But half point PPR, I think we're there at this point today where it's the happy medium. Uh, I don't like artificial fantasy points. I never have. I don't like people going for points per first down. And that seems to be a new thing, again, because... It always goes back to why I hate PPR is well, PPR is you could get a five, a negative five yard blown up screen and you still get a half a point. How is that a positive thing? Uh, on the flip side, same thing with the first down is why is the first first down rush for nine yards more valuable than a third and one that gets you a first down or a third and one that you receive that you, you catch the ball. Hell, you play in PPR with points per first down. You catch a third and one for a first down. You just made 2.1 points. So um, I think half point PPR is the best way to do it. And for draft purposes, I say this every single year. Everybody's always hesitant who's never tried an auction once. I, I don't know a single person. I've been doing this. Uh, not as long as you have, but, you know, professionally, I've been doing it for 10 years. I've been playing and writing on the side before that, but I've been playing even longer than that. I have never seen a single person try auction and come back and be like, man, that sucked. Play auction because any player that you want to be in on, you can be in on. There's nothing worse than 
being on the turn. And hell, if you don't have the number one pick, you're probably not getting Christian McCaffrey this year. Maybe even the number two pick at worst. But you're you're always out on players in a snake draft, and you're always beholden to runs, which is just you know in an auction, it's in your control, and there's so much more strategy behind it. So those are the big ones: is half point PPR auction. I love keepers just because I love being able to reward people who can look ahead and know how to kind of build a team. I won't go full dynasty because that's a commitment a lot of people can't make, and there's a lot involved there, and you kind of lose some of the fun of drafting every single year. So I like a three or four type of keeper league. But yeah, half point PPR, please do double headers. You'll have a lot more fun with it. Auction, and then if you want everything, 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 because there's like 50 more things I left out here, go check the link and read the article. That's why I have it out there to help everybody every single year. Uh, that's great. The, the 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 auction draft thing is fascinating. I've done auctions before, but this was closer to the 30 years ago scenario. And we switched it to a draft way back when, in part because the thing I didn't like about the auctions at that point, this is like pre-internet, was the people who didn't know anything, they would just bid on the obvious players or they would kind of watch to see who other people were bidding on. You did, And like, it seemed to devalue, like, like you could spend all your money on like the four, four of the top 10 guys. And as long as they didn't get hurt, you probably were going to win, you know, because, you know, everybody's going to get some other spots. Um, and when we switch it to a draft, it it did weed out the people that know versus the people that don't. But that said, now that there's so much more information online, yeah, that it's it it doing a draft now. Everybody's like, okay, I got a list. <laughs> Jake <laughs> says I should draft this guy eighth. Well, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And now it's like, oh, well, this is kind of boring now. Now there's more variance. It feels like with the auction because now you have to debate. Well, do I, how much am I actually spending here on Christian McCaffrey versus do I wait and get Antonio Gibson or whatever? So uh, it's more fun, I agree. And also, I think now it's probably uh, a better way to show who knows what versus just everybody looking at the same draft. Yeah, the, the snake drafts can definitely, like you said, it can definitely get boring uh, to with the, how many sites have rankings at this point, and you're just kind of running down the list that everybody knows. But I will say this about the auction thing. The one downside to it that you mentioned just about having Jake's, my home league, about half the league brings my auction rankings with them. So it's like they know exactly how I'm valuing everybody. It's a whole other level when you have an auction, and it's like, well, I know Jake's probably cutting out around 40 bucks, so I can I know what he's going to do. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, you are you you are hosing yourself while uh, while earning a living. That, that, that is a problem. Um, uh, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey. Is he the pretty clear number one for you guy, even coming off the injuries, or is there anybody else that you think might be that guy once we get to to the drafts? So he, if I'm drafting, if I'm playing, he is. Uh, I also will have said this before. I understand there's an argument for four guys, in my opinion. If you want to take Dalvin Cook first, I don't have a problem with that. But Dalvin Cook has missed time almost every single season. So uh, Saquon Barkley, if you want to take Saquon first and you think this offense is going to take a huge step forward, he actually did better on a points-per-game basis than Christian McCaffrey did two years ago. And then I will throw this out. If you want to take Derrick Henry first, as crazy as that might sound to some people, he might be the safest. I know there's people out there like, oh, I carried the ball 370 times. Let's be real about that number. Uh, he's also only had 300 plus carries two years. He's also a freak of nature. If Derrick Henry gets hurt, it's going to be because somebody fell into him wrong and blew out his knee. It's not going to be because Derrick Henry got worn down. So, Again, I'm taking McCaffrey. I would actually go McCaffrey, Cook, Barkley, Henry, in my opinion, in my order. 
if you wanted to take any of those four, I'd be okay with it. I think Christian McCaffrey's upside if the Carolina did. This is the, everybody's like, oh, it's a regime he hasn't really been under a lot. Well, he did have one game, and he was out there for almost 100% of the snaps in that one game. So if they do keep him with that level, you're talking about somebody that's going to run for an easy 1500 yards and then we're still talking 90 plus receptions so he's the number one but i understand if you don't want it because of the injury risk um free agency happened a lot of guys moved teams and even the people that didn't move teams maybe their situation changed because somebody moved teams or somebody came out or they lost somebody or whatever it may be what's a what's a player that you like a lot more now that and we can include the draft as well. What's a player you like a lot now more based on whatever happened this offseason and who's a player that you're down on based on what happened? Yeah. So I will say that I'll, I'll go, I'll go negative first. Cause I'll save good for last. Uh, the negative one is actually Corey Davis, who I was super high on coming out of college. Um, but it, the funny thing is, is I admittedly said like, maybe I was too high on him. I think that you look at Corey Davis' success last year and you watch some of it and realize that Corey Davis is still a very talented wide receiver. Uh, Can we possibly realize and admit that, hey, Corey Davis as a number one might not work? Uh, You could say that he's a great 1B if he has somebody at or above his level across from him. And I think that's what we kind of saw with Corey Davis. And that's why he broke out as he did last year. Uh, So I think going to the jets and being asked to be the number one asked to have number one corners treat you as the number one uh, is just going to make things rough for him in that he might repeat last year, but it'll similar to the concern about like if Curtis Samuel was playing outside, he would repeat last year, but he's going to need more targets and to just do it because it's going to be less efficient. So that's my concern on the downside. There's not a lot of good this year. A lot of the free agents landed in some pretty poor situations. Curtis Samuel, I think, is one of the good ones, but we've already talked about him at depth here. I think the one I'll give you one that I think that got overlooked. I think John Brown going to the Raiders just continues even to today. I like Marvin Jones and the Jaguars as well, especially with the Trevor Lawrence, but John Brown and the Raiders can easily replace Nelson Aguilar and do more because I think even with the injuries and kind of like hit and miss here lately, I still think if you gave me John Brown or Nelson Aguilar as a choice as a wide receiver, I'm taking John Brown every single time. The Raiders, similar to that, what I was just talking about with Corey Davis, they still kind of need a number one. Henry Ruggs should not be a number one. He's somebody that should be playing, kind of like Curtis Samuel, should be playing out of the slot more than playing outside, need somebody of his level out there with him. So I think that John Brown could easily lead the Raiders in receiving this year. Uh, maybe second behind Darren Waller, depending on how things play out. But I think he's one of the few that actually landed in a good spot because you go down the list and you might have said one of the tight ends with the Patriots, but they signed two. Uh, we talked about Corey Davis. Uh, Kenny Galladay now with Daniel Jones and not being the clear number one with so many options out there. Not as necessarily a great situation. So there was a lot. Free agency was not the best for fantasy this year. Interesting. Interesting. Um, th- uh, Trevor Lawrence uh, got drafted. I don't know if people are aware of that. Number first pick. <laughs> are you, I, it looked like you had him ranked almost in the QB one range, or maybe you did yes. um, th- this year. Where, where are you at with him or, or any of the, or, or Justin Fields as well, who I would imagine would be sort of the, the other guy. Well, Zach Wilson should be playing as well, but I mean, Trevor Lawrence, w- 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 how excited are you for, for him this year? 
I'm exceptionally excited for Trevor Lawrence. So I'm sure you hate it because it's so cliche at this point, but the generational talent, just the sure. term at this point. But what I did for so I when my pre-draft rookies, I do tiers because I don't like just straight rank because then people get all hung up and like, well, you have this guy at seven, this guy at eight. And like, well, you know what? They're really on the same tier. So I do tiers. And for people to understand how much of a yes he actually is for once in the past 10 years he's we finally do have a generational talent like trevor lawrence i didn't start at tier one i started at tier zero to kind of like make that point to say that you hear people saying the best since andrew luck the best since peyton manning and that's true if if trevor lawrence fails in the nfl just cancel the the NFL. Just cancel analysis. Like there's something su supremely went wrong if Trevor Lawrence doesn't succeed. And I say that, and the reason why I have him at 12 is because Justin Herbert just finished with not starting week one, being thrust into an offense that wasn't expected to be ready for him uh, in week two because of what happened with Tyrod last year. He finished as a top 10 quarterback. Trevor Lawrence, I'm taking a thousand times out of a thousand and then some over Justin Herbert as a talent. I would still take Justin Herbert in fantasy before him because now we have a year of watching Herbert, but Lawrence is not that far behind him. And if Lawrence sur surpassed him, I wouldn't be shocked. That's how good he is. Justin Fields on the flip side, uh, his value for fantasy just comes from the running, rushing side of things. You, you kind of put him in between Kyler Murray and Josh Allen. Uh, he's going to run a little bit more than Josh Allen, maybe not quite as much as Kyler Murray, but the touchdowns will be there as well. The question, of course, with Fields is whether or not Adam Gase is a smart man to start him in week one or wants to kind of try and move him along slowly and tries Andy Dalton after what we saw for the last two years of Andy Dalton. Don't think that would be the wisest move. But his appeal comes from any time – actually, here, I'll just give you – this is what I wrote up about Justin Fields – is Daniel Jones last year, you know this, Ben, was miserable, beyond miserable. Uh, he threw for 11 touchdowns. He threw for, I don't remember off the top of my head. Let me look real quickly. I, I want to say, well, did he even get to 3,000 yards? Because I know he did play most of the season. Daniel Jones, nope, 2,900. 2,900 yards and 11 touchdowns. If I said to you, Ben, let's take 2,900 yards and 11 touchdowns, but add 700 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns, that would get you to QB 12 in fantasy. So he could be a miserable thrower and still finish his QB 12. If he's just a competent thrower my ranking of qb 14 kind of bakes in the fact that maybe he doesn't start week one if justin fields is the starter of week one he could actually finish in front of trevor lawrence he might be a top 10 quarterback um and you know people whenever i have a guest come on i'm always like yeah you know we'll go for like 30 minutes and then i realize oh crap i've now been talking to jake for like 50 minutes because this is what happens <laughs> if i like the conversation i don't even notice the time and uh, all that but I, I gotta get you out of here but last question i know it would be, I, I know enough to know I'm never going to ask you about kickers, <laughs> but I will ask about defense because the one thing for Washington is this defense on paper could be really good. People, I think people would like the idea of like, especially right here of having Chase Young on their team in some way. What do you make of the Washington defense this year? They add William Jackson, a cornerback, they draft Jamin Davis. You got four first round picks across the defensive line. Matt Ioannidis is back. He basically missed almost all of last year with an injury where are you on the Washington defense and would, would you draft them in say the, I don't know, the third round, no, I'm kidding, but like how, how high are you on that defense? 
Uh, but streamly, so I, I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a mini victory lap here is because I was supremely high on them last year and I had a ton of the Washington football defense because you know I'm down here in Virginia. I'm in Virginia Beach and I do the Washington huddle for our local, it's the Wavy slash Fox or NBC slash Fox station. So I know about the Washington football team and I know about that defense supremely high and then they actually finished fifth or sixth in a lot of leagues last year depending on what your exact defensive scoring is i would take them there again i would take them arguably top three i think the rams ravens and washington are probably the three arguably best defenses both in a real life and fantasy wise you could throw maybe some others in the conversation like the 49ers and the bills uh, maybe even the Buccaneers, but I the, like the Washington is going to be one of the best again. So yeah, if you're in a draft and you're still in a snake draft and you're 16 rounds and you don't want to wait to the 15th when a lot of teams start taking defenses, you want to take them in the 14th round, maybe even late in the 13th if you don't want to wait that long. I, I have no problem with doing that because that's where some people usually start taking the top end defenses and defenses are always tough to repeat in fantasy unless you have a lot of carryover which the washington team does and they basically as you mentioned they filled a lot of the, the vacancies that they had and even then some so yeah i think they easily repeat as a top five defense um all right i like it i guarantee people listening to this will like that uh and that you're definitely gonna like jake's work go read him on the athletic go follow him on twitter at all in kid uh fun twitter follower he he knows his stuff and he likes talking and tweeting and commenting in the in the in the comment section of his articles so uh go hit him up and i've always i always say you know if you're going to do these things you know just be nice uh jake man i definitely appreciate it uh look forward to talking again maybe when we get closer to the year and we'll see what the wide receiver situation uh shakes out sounds good i appreciate you having me all right uh that's it many thanks to jake seeley for his time hope you guys enjoyed that uh we'll we'll uh we'll see what happens down the line with um with this team in terms of the fantasy football you know uh it's really almost hard well you know you got to speculate a little bit and we did we just did some of that i'm really going to be curious to you know this receiver breakdown who's out on the field how does it work where does curtis samuel line up how many touches does he get per game Um, i think it's going to be really interesting to see combined with mclaurin um antonio gibson Logan Thomas. They've got a lot of guys that are interesting for fantasy. How do you maximize them? Obviously, Ron Rivera is not worried about our fantasy football teams, but at the same point, it's the same general idea. How do you have all these players? How do you maximize them to help the team? And, you know, for our purposes, uh, selfishly, (laughs) who do we think is going to be the the, the players that stand out the most? So uh, appreciate that. Uh, We'll be back. We'll, We'll have more podcasts. Don't go anywhere. But that's it for now. Ben Standing signing off. Until next time. 